I'm like a gingerly nursing a lemon lime seltzer, imagining that it has alcohol in it. It's the On Our Book Fair podcast where we grown men come together to talk about books from childhoods, ours, others, who cares? Uh, I'm Jay. I'm Miles. I'm Daniel. And this week we are, uh, we're set in sail in Earthsea with Ursula K. Le Guin's A Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah, a book that would have been from my mother's childhood, but uh, having talked to her when she visited this past weekend, she actually has never read, which is surprising to me because she's been a school librarian for, you know, close to 30 years now, and I would have assumed she would have read some Le Guin by now, but I guess not. Came out in 68. Yeah, Yeah. wow. That said, she's not a big fantasy person, which I don't know where I got it from. I this is old imagine. fantasy and stuff. This was before they even had Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I'm surprised my dad never gave me this because, like, he. Maybe he never read it because, like, it gives me the same vibe as, um, the Chronicles of Prydain, like, the Black Cauldron, the Book of Three, all those. And mm. my dad was really into those. I get the feeling, having looked into a little bit with this book, I get the feeling that it wasn't super commercially successful at first. Like, it didn't take the world by storm initially. Like, it was a slow yeah. burn. Whereas I could be wrong. I've heard that, um, but... her other books, like I think, was it *The Left Hand of Darkness*? Mm-hmm. I think that was more successful, and she like, was... people didn't expect her to write a children's book. I don't know. Yeah, because she was she had already written a lot of large books for uh, for adults when she got approached to write this, which she talks about a little bit in the afterward. And we're going to talk about that afterward because it's fucking great. Um, uh, yeah, Jay, so did you like... uh, did you ask your parents? Did either of them read this book? I feel like your no, but I, I feel like your uncle Ned would have read this book. Yeah, shout out to Uncle Ned. <laughs> yeah, he probably would have. He was the guy who was trying to, who was like sending me copies of Dune, being like, "You gotta read Dune," and nice. I did, and I'm like, "Oh hell yeah, dude!" But he also sends, but he, but he also sends me links to uh, old Jordan Peterson lectures. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> he was into him back when he was like, back when he seemed normal, you know. I don't know what my uncle's like, if he still follows him now. The, f- the idea that Jordan P- and Peterson ever seemed normal is right. wild to me. Yep. Well, we have yet to see who will cancel whom, so uh, up yours, <laughs> woke moralists. Let's get into this book. Um, so I really like the setting of this book. Cause, like, yeah. Usually if you get a fantasy map, it's it's copying Middle-earth, and it's a, you know, the sea is on the left and the land is on the right. And no, this one says, fuck that, we have an archipelago. Yeah, the sea is on the everything. Yes. This is what I would call, like, a pure distilled fantasy thing, where it is not, like, a... It is in no way, like, genre referential. It plays uh, the really, like, I don't know, clean, purified, like, sense of fantasy about it, in that it is, like, highly mythologized and fantastical and with these, like, uh, sort of existential, like, conflict that just is all about, like, Taoist balancing. Mm -hmm. Um, But... It does. Ha- it doesn't have any like self-referential nature to the history and like genre of fantasy. I mean, I'm comparing it today. Uh-huh. I saw a freaking uh, trailer for a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, that boy. is just fan- high fantasy, just becoming so crystallized as a genre that is reliant on. Uh, you know, I don't even know how to phrase this right. Reliant in a large way on tropes and conventions that like you even have to lampshade and be ironic about. But this is. Uh, 
I think even for the time, it's like a very pure, sincere, like, this is what fantasy is. Yeah. yeah. It's very... And it's uh, largely maritime based on the setting. Yeah. She it's set out to tell stuff. a good story and then, you know, she built the world and then made a story within it. Um, yes. And, you know, it, it does feel like, and I know this is kind of the point, it feels like you're reading the lore of that world, just the way it's written. The kind mm -hmm. of omniscient narrator, third person narrator. Who sometimes yeah. knows what's in the minds of other characters that aren't our protagonist. What I, I did find precisely... Oh, sorry. No, no, keep going. I interrupted you. Okay. I did find precisely one reference to anything outside the lore and world and of Earthsea. And that was uh, King's Foil in his witch ant's uh, hut. And that's the only thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll get there. Yeah, King's Foil. That's a weed. <laughs> um... No, this, this book does something that I love in my fantasy books, which is it puts you into the world and doesn't slow down to explain everything to you if it doesn't make sense to. Like, characters talk about the different places and, you know, everything, everything happening in the world like they would talk about it. They don't, you know, bother to explain, oh, well, as you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, it... it it follows itself, and then occasionally the the narrator will break in and explain something to you, essentially as a contextual footnote, but it's not done through character interaction, which I feel like tends to be missing frequently, and I really appreciate about it. It makes it and harder like to follow initially, and it made me like, it made me really wish I had the map easily referenced while I was reading it, because I was reading the ebook, which means I'd have to constantly, like, if I wanted to look at the map, I'd have to constantly, you know, scroll the thing back to the very first page and then scroll back, and it's a pain in the ass. But Dan, you were reading the physical book. How often did you go back and look at the map whenever they were talking about locations? Oh, plenty of times. And the edition I have has little mini-maps when, not with every move, but, like, major moves in the story. Like, it'll give you a smaller... A smaller, inset, like, zoomed-in version of the maps, and I like that. Uh, that's fantastic. That's really, really important with this book, mm -hmm. because it covers a lot of ground. And water. And water, <laughs> especially water. Um, so, you know what? I didn't... This is the first book that uh, we've read that I actually just listened to, because I've been busy at work, and so I just put it on uh, in my headphones. A real, like... I, th I think it was some bootleg of an audiobook for it, so I can't tell who read it, but it was read in a very, um, like, old man of the village storyteller way, where Ooh. he was acting out with his voice a lot of the scenes, and, like, after a high-tension scene where he would be, like, speaking very fast, he would be, like, out of breath and stuttering and stuff, which... I love that. Personally, like, it, it was nice. It did add a lot to it because it was like you were being told this story by, like, the, you know, the town kook. At the, at the tavern or whatever. Um, but after a while, it, for me, it did just get kind of annoying where I was like, no, I just want to, just, I'm just trying to get through this book. But he, he put a lot of stank on these lineries. Anyway, I didn't have a map at all. So for me, that was just like, oh, I don't actually need to know. It's, <laughs> it was a world with its space and everything. And every time they mentioned like, ooh, this island and that reef or whatever, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take your word for it. Oh, he, he sailed three days east? Sure. All right. I... That's really interesting. When I was reading this book, there's a lot of very florid description uh, mm -hmm. to the point where I actually bounced off of it a couple of times. Like I tried to start reading it, I think two or three times, and I just kept bouncing off of it because I was like, I can't, 
I can't take in all this information right now. I can't, you know, slam my head against this brick wall of words for a second. But, like, once I got started on it, like, once I got over that first little bit of hurdle that I had bounced off a couple of times, I just devoured this book. Um, but I was wondering while reading it, like, okay, is this something like Redwall that's better read aloud? Or is this something that if it's read aloud, you're just going to lose track of what's being said and what's being mm -hmm. talked about? Yeah, I tried to read this book a couple years ago. And at first, I guess I was a little... It, it felt a little brief the way it was written. Like I felt like I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't appreciate the narration at first, the way it was designed to work. Because like that whole omniscient, like they're reading you a legend kind of voice, and I really liked it once I got into it. But I didn't finish the first round because a summer camper forgot her book, and I gave it to her, and I did not get it back until the library asked for it, and along with my soul. So, <laughs> so yeah. She said it was great, so I'm so, glad I finally got a chance. It is weirdly so brief. Is like, there's a little bit of, like, stuntedness to it where I feel like we don't spend enough time at each spot. Like, ki things kind of get glossed over mm -hmm. for the for the purpose of, you know, continuing the story. Like, I, I, it almost felt like... I mean, we talked about this a little bit with Charlie Bone, too, but it almost felt like she had a page limit that she kept bumping up against, so she kept having to condense parts of it down. But overall, I mean, I fucking loved this book. I Same. I think it's great. Uh, don't let my criticism of it in this moment uh, detract from the fact that I think it's a fantastic book and I can't wait to read the next one. It's definitely like any 12-year-old in the world should be reading this book. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah. so what is the framing device that we start with? This is It is framed as like a sort of tale being told, but like, what is it that it was the song of like, oh, you may not hear this story told properly. Different cultures tell this story in different ways, attributing it to different people. But it's it was the Sparrowhawk who did all this crap. Yeah, the it's, Wizard of Earthsea. It, it's sort of giving us this way, way later, like, account of, of the adventures of Ged, the Sparrowhawk, or uh, his original birth name, uh, Dunny, Dooney. Uh, and it is a framing device to a certain degree that will be very familiar to those of our listeners who have read the Kingkiller Chronicles. Yes. Because holy fucking shit, <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin deserves a co-author credit for the Kingkiller Chronicles. I'm, I'm gonna straight yes. up say it. Like, Ged and Quoth are very similar and they follow very similar paths with the exception being ged learns from his mistakes he does he and is capable and, of being humbled yeah and uh it feels i don't even remember his name in king Code. quoth or quoth oh yeah or quothy um yeah the second we were getting into uh ged's you know first exposures to magic and i was like oh uh an unorthodox but competent polymath devouring as much information and magic and like seeking power as he could and then like is starting to learn eventually the true names of things to like call upon primordial forces of nature and it's like oh, okay not just that but this is... uh he devours so much information because there are so many different people filtering in and out of the area and travelers and learning different trades and then of course you know he gets that mentor figure who teaches him a lot and appears 
right around the time he starts to show signs of this ability. And he overextends himself while following this mentor figure because he's just too eager for more uh, magical understanding. And he oversteps and harms himself and gets gets uh, lectured on the nature of this horrific magic that could disrupt everything. And, you know, things get slowed down after that. And he goes off to school to learn about it. And along the way, he also meets this this girl who's steeped in darkness, who comes back later under the power of some evil figure. Uh, yeah. And, and he has a rival at the school who's kind of a dick. He has a rival at the school who's kind of a dick, but a very close friend who's also, who's who's pretty good. And, uh, you know, whenever he goes off and starts wandering, he, he uh, bests a dragon, just like, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, begins to deal with these, these strange, uh, darker aspects of the world, these elder, uh, bits of magic in the world with the return of that mysterious darkness tinted girl uh who's in danger but but content to be there to a certain degree as well uh but he's unable to save her and so uh, how charitable yeah. do we have a read about uh the king killer chronicles like pulling a lot from earthsea i feel like it goes just just like that step too far past homage and starts to become like mm. well, can't be, I, I was gonna say it can't be said that uh can't remember the writer of it but like patrick just Rothfuss. redid patrick rochefus just redid earthsea because it is yeah. like significantly different and i really yeah it is remember their world building yeah. Uh, in Kingkiller was like drastically different and it was the way he like mm -hmm. also expanded on a lot of magical systems yeah as they yeah. exist anyway magic um, here is more mysterious and well there's a system but it's it's more force of nature than anything else yeah he and... he has a very physics based magic system Guin here has a very um realistically very illusion based magic system mm -hmm. like very much seeming based magic system yeah. but yeah I, I'm being a bit uncharitable, but there's too many fucking uh, similarities. Like it, the skeleton if, is if, extremely similar, but like the, if Patrick Rothfuss uh, said he had never read Earthsea, I'd call him a goddamn liar. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But this came decade. I mean, you know, it did come about when he was would have been the right age. But yeah, um, he would have been the right age to read it as a kid. Yeah. Uh, also, there's some bits that haven't come up in King Killer Chronicles that very much mirror some ideas that happen in future Earthsea books and mirror some things that happen in this book. So, uh, hmm. Interesting. But Ged, but Ged is not based on anyone's Dungeons & Dragons character. He Ged is, is not based. <laughs> Ged starts out pretty chuggy as uh, the young boy Dunny <laughs> living the son of a blacksmith with like some kind of bad vibes to him. But is also like, ah, oh, my son, you know the ma you have the you have the magic within your blood. Yeah, he's he's the youngest son of a blacksmith, uh, and is just really really put upon to exist. And he very obviously has some ADHD. Uh, yep. But then one day his aunt starts. He overhears his aunt do a spell on some goats, and so he repeats that spell and gets chased by a herd of goats through town. And after that, he starts to, you know, learn some magic from his aunt, who realistically does not like him. Um, <laughs> she's, like, weirdly vilified and mm -hmm. treated as lesser, essentially. It's it's very weird. Le Guin yeah. 
wrote this book and she intentionally made the vast majority of people in this book not white. Like, Ged is not white and she's been pissed off about people making Ged white for decades. But um, she intentionally made the majority of the characters not white specifically to kind of try and buck trends in fantasy storytelling but for but she kept the trend of women being inferior in it mm-hmm. like not only states that there's a prejudice against women in spell casting uh you know women women in spells transmutation evocation and magics uh but she not only does she say that there is a prejudice against it she reinforces that that prejudice is founded which is really fucking weird yeah, especially since from what I've heard and read in later books, like she pushes back on sexism in fan- like both in the world and in fantasy in general at the time. I mean, but, I would assume so. The main character of the second book is a is a woman. Yeah. I, so I was thinking about that because we know in our lifetime as Ursula K. Le Guin as this you know uh, big uh, influential feminist, and wasn't sure like why the portrayal of women in the world building of Earthsea right now was like this and why like then also focus it on a male character getting you know powerful and you know lauded for the aptitude and magic in a world when you already can tell like women are generally like not benefited from like their magic ability socially they're or, banned from there the was, magic like, a lot of talk school. of like yeah. yeah there was a lot of talk of like you know witches mad like women's magic and stuff mm-hmm. like being mm-hmm. this derided like almost like not useful thing even though one thing I liked about the world building is how, like, kind of blasé and pedestrian a lot of magic is. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, a couple people in town are going to be doing some basic spells and stuff. Um, magic is just largely about knowing the right words and feeling the energy out. There's no, like, intensive study or, like, uh, particularly, like, inherent born ability that is present in a lot of other fantasy stuff for people to use magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, like... The way women use it, it seems to run that uh, weird line between, like, it's not taken seriously, but it's also seen as bad and dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of like pick one, um, especially because it's not useless at all. There's, like, a lot of... it is. There's a lot of applications, and you literally see people using it for everything all the time in this universe. Yeah. Uh, two like, of the, the, um... the... Or no, the three most prom- prominent uh, women magic users, I believe the only three women magic users we see are using it for, like, general purpose slash uh, livestock. So, like, Mm -hmm. helping in an agrarian society, uh, healing and midwifery, which is very fucking important and also taught at the magic school, um, Mm -hmm. and, like, bewitchment and charms and uh, mind control, which is not only not taught at the magic school, but they don't teach anything like that. They don't teach anything like enchantment. So, like, it, it gets that idea of this thing is bad and dangerous, but but why is it still seen as not powerful when, yeah. you know, our, our mysterious, relatively similar in age girl, her mom is an enchantress, and so is she. Like, she can minorly control minds. That's a big fucking power that mm-hmm. normally you'd need to know someone's name to control them. But like, uh, it's that, even it's, it's odd. Like and that, that so, you might, is, and so you might 
you might read this book and be like, oh, this book's not very feminist from Ursula K. Le Guin, but it was written in 1968 when she was very young and things change. I don't know what she yeah. was thinking at the time. Yeah. 1968 was, uh, 1968 sure was a time. It sure was. But there's a, was in, it's drawn, it's drawn attention to in the very beginning of the book. We're talking about his aunt and it says, there is a saying on Gaunt, weak as woman's magic. And there's another saying, wicked as woman's magic. So that like was, that's that, what I was trying to remember. Yeah, they have that dichotomy there. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's certainly an odd feature, but... Yeah, oh, I, I wonder why women's magic is considered book. wicked. Maybe because they're not allowed to get any formal training for it, uh, and, you know, they're looked down on for having it, but still, you know, an essential part of the society. Hmm. 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 I wonder why they're bitter. Yeah, it sounds something-something uh, feminine labor in social reproduction. Uh, I'm receiving notes that what uh, for a while Ursula K. Le Guin like, was not identifying as feminist and resisted uh, people calling her books feminist. Yeah. Hmm. So, I don't know. Change. Yeah, things change. Yeah. Uh, but... Oh. Speaking of 1968 so being a time... Oh, yeah, no, okay, let's keep going with the... Plot Let's of the keep thing. going. I can so, insert my thing whenever. So Dunny, aka Ged, aka Sparrowhawk, is growing up on the like pastoral island of Gaunt, where they do a bunch of shepherding stuff. He gets, he starts getting taught a little bit of magic here and there, and then one day, oh no, the Imperial Raiders have come. A bunch of just dudes here to slaughter and wage war. Yeah, the um, uh, some of the only explicitly white folks in this whole book. Yep. Yeah, the, the white cards. devil is here to fuck up everybody's good time with imperialism yeah. and slaughter. <laughs> and and so and, Ged turns the mists in, like, he turns the weather and the mists into, like, illusions to guide them towards the cliffs. But then doesn't push them over the cliffs, just then, like, scares them off and lets, like, the villagers pick them off a bit, too, through the illusion. But I... I really thought it was going to be like, all right, driving them towards the cliffs and then driving them off the cliffs, kill off all of the raiders. But, but no, he just kind of like fucks with them a little bit so that they run, they run away screaming and then go murder a different village. But didn't they also get their asses kicked on the beach? Like he was, I I think it's because like this this little magic boy adventurer. Yeah. This little magic boy adventurer couldn't like, you know, be getting a body count before he even goes to magic school. I guess, but, um... Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain degree of intent here of, like, well, yeah, his intent was to make things safer, not to, you know, kill them all. Yeah, he was just distracting them and hiding his, you know, villagers and stuff, and then they got fucked up later, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, but he passes out from the effort of maintaining that illusion for so long, and then, you know, after so many failed attempts at healing, a a mysterious local mage named Ogion comes to his village and, you know, heals him with a word and is like, hey, when he gets his name, one, I'm going to do the naming, and two, he's going to come with me and be my apprentice after that. He's too powerful to stay here. And and his dad is just kind of like, yeah, okay. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Honestly, he's not that good at working the bellows at the forge anyway. So yeah, go learn magic, youngest son. Yeah, it's like I had a bunch of. Wasn't he also the seventh son? Isn't there something about seventh son of a seventh son, strongest wizard? Uh, Seventh son of a seventh son, last I knew, was a vampire. But uh... it depends on the folklore. Some also Mm. say like that's 
um, it is connected to wizardry in some in some lore. Um, let's see, his how many kids? Oh yeah, he is the seventh son. There are he has six older brothers. Most of them already became smiths or farmers in other places. So yeah, of course his dad's like, eh, the other ones turned out. <laughs> we can send this one away. Yeah, he can he can go be an art student. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's like in my family, the seventh son of the seventh son would always be in grad school but never really use it for anything. <laughs> you go home, you tell him, Hey, I saved the world. Like, oh, nice, and how much money did that make? And it's like, well, you know, it's more about the experience of it and uh, so you're gonna move back in, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Seventh son of a seventh son uh, becomes a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, a, a successful one with, like, a niche that the parents will, like, never understand. Like, they can actually be somewhat internet famous and make a good living, but, like, there's no way to explain it to your parents. <laughs> and it'll never be respectable, like, being a doctor. Oh. All right. So, yeah, our own so uh, existential dreads aside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. The um, Before he even goes off to magic school um the mage ogion who who finds him um he gives him his true name and this is an interesting part of the culture of the island i i like how even though all the islands are different some things they have in common like they have one holiday that they all do and they all have this whole idea of you know each person has a true name that they don't tell anybody except those they trust and and this this wandering wizard gives him the name ged mm. Because your true name allows people to control you, mm -hmm. more or less. Yep. Which begs the question, should a wizard be the person, either should a wizard be the person giving everyone in that area their true names, or should a wizard be the last person who gets to give someone their true name? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And they you know to how to trust... use it. Yeah, you just have to trust that they're a good wizard. Yeah. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Trick question. This is Earthsea. They're all bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he starts to lead him around and Ged's oh, and does that classic annoyed. like wizard? Yeah, does that classic wizard mentor stuff of like just not really teaching him magic directly? And he's like, "You're not teaching me anything." And it's like I'm teaching you all kinds of stuff. If you would listen and pay attention, wax on, wax off. What are you <laughs> learning as we just go around doing whatever? I was about to say he Mister Miyagi's him the whole time. Yeah, this is this is your magic apprenticeship. This isn't magic school. You're here to learn on the job. Also, as educators, you two, like, to what extent is that just a get-out-of-jail-free card for not having a lesson plan? Uh, um, I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> I, I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> when will we use this in real life? Every day. This is real life. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so Ged's frustrated because Ogion, uh, Ogion had a couple of months, but he's starting out. He's starting out their lessons with some silent, sustained reading. Uh, but yeah, a whole uh, lot of silent... I mean, go figure. The man called the Silent Mage spends ninety percent of his time pondering and not talking. Mm -hmm. But Ogion says some very interesting things about the need for Ged to be trained. Uh, he said that to keep dark the mind of the mageborn, that's a dangerous thing. So without, without that knowledge, all of that power will likely go to negative ends. And that's absolutely fair. Like you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to do it. 
you you just produce this it's the same idea of like well in in worlds where there are superheroes not having some sort of like training regimen for your power and some sort of superhero learning program starts to become a ridiculous idea because like no if someone you know what if someone realizes one day that like oh i thought i could just make like tiny little flames on my fingers but i just got really really mad and i uh, burnt down a school like you you need to understand these things you need to learn these things you need to develop them um but it also yeah. so when it's like well why aren't you training me magic stuff i want to be powerful and it's like i'm not training you to be powerful i'm training you to be a normal person that doesn't go mad with power mm-hmm. uh, you gotta like you gotta be you gotta be zen about it yeah he also says uh Need alone is not enough to set power free. There must be knowledge, which I wish, I wish more fantasy would take that lesson mm -hmm. that like our protagonist having, having great power just when the need arises rather than, you know, learning how to use it would be great. It'd be great. Mm -hmm. it would. But then also I'm pretty sure she breaks from this later on anyway. And just like, Oh yeah, no, he really needed that power, so it so then he had it. But eh. it's all right. we can forgive it because he starts out just looking at plants and cop and copying the six hundred runes of Hardik. Yeah, wasn't there something with a plant where he was just like, "Hey, what's the purpose of that plant?" And he's like, "I don't know. What's the purpose of you or me or the <laughs> sky or the stars or the seas?" It's like, yep. Yep. things aren't just to be used for whatever purpose like you can get out of it you gotta understand all of the characteristics and abilities of these things yeah because the whole purpose of mages in this world is not just to exert their will onto the world it's to understand the balance and to help to maintain and restore that balance where it's lost not just you know work magic constantly all the time to make everything better and in part, I feel like that's a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card for some fantasy things of, like, well, they have magic, so why don't they have this, this, and this? Like, why is there still, you know, structural inequality? Why is there still income inequality in this world where, you know, magic exists? Like, well, you know, they have to maintain some sort of balance in the world, and if they put too much magic into it, then bad things will happen. Like, okay, I disagree, but Which you set the rules of this world, so I guess... I don't know. I got I I got the reason for these things right away because yeah. when they start introducing you to like the weather magic about like you know you move clouds to be like no I'm gonna push that rain cloud over so it's you know a couple miles to the east it's not gonna rain on us here or something I'm just like okay I messing with weather patterns for for your own convenience I can imagine gets pretty sticky pretty quick yep. yeah they actually talk it about like, it too and say like oh in some areas there's there's a wizard in every town and they just like essentially play air hockey shifting the storm between each place like casting a new spell to shift it on to the next one i really liked that visual just the idea of a rain cloud getting knocked around from island to island to... <laughs> and so, so yeah. it just gets knocked if... out to sea to rain at peace yeah <laughs> And what if you're uh, the local wizard at, like, Bringle Brungle Island, but, like, you suck at the weather magic, and the town is always just like, you're letting everybody else send the thunderstorms to us. We don't want this. And I'm like, I'm trying my best. I, they just keep sending them here. I don't have the power. They're stronger at it than I am. I mean, you could really always just the make the argument of, like, yeah, we need the rain. I'm maintaining the balance. They're being irresponsible by not allowing the rain to water their crops. Yeah. You're going to get drought conditions and stuff. 
Yeah, so I can see how weather magic can, especially because it seems pretty easy and accessible for a lot of people, it like, it seems like it would get real sticky. Yeah, like weather workers are on the same level as witches, or like they're just common trades magic users. Like you don't have to they're, go to school. Yeah, they're like a, they're like a municipal employee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and during that's the, that's the wizard GED is just to be a, a weather worker. During this uh, frustrating period of his life, Ged uh, takes the moment to wonder, like, oh, what good is having power if you're too wise to use it? And uh, Ogion later kind of contradicts that with just uh, danger surrounds power as shadow does light. Sorcery is not a game we play for for pleasure or for praise. Think of it like this, that every word, every act of our art is said and done either for good or for evil. Before you speak uh, or do, you must know the price that is to pay. Like, yeah, it's going to have some sort of impact. You need to understand your impact before you do this thing that is realistically against the natural order. Hmm. But he's and not that's... interested in these lessons. No, of course not. No, he's interested not. in he, this chick. And then he meets this. He's interested in this chick that's out there in the pastures. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, you can do magic. Show me some real fucking magic." And he's like, oh, I, can't. "I can't. I'm not supposed to. Are you pussy? Go over. <laughs> go open your master's book and find the biggest nastiest spell." Yeah. Go, why don't you raise person. the dead for me? <laughs> like, prove it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, and he does. Uh, as if a man possessed, he. He goes through this big tome of forbidden knowledge and starts to recite a, a spell to raise the dead and creates this, like, weird shadow spirit. I mean, yeah. Uh, every time they talked about a shadow spirit thing in this, I just pictured Hexus from Ferngully. <laughs> just, like, without most of the sexual charisma. This you, one was not voiced you brought by this upon. <laughs> You brought this upon the podcast, Miles. Now I gotta put in the sound clips. <laughs> yeah, make sure you put in the specific sound effect of him giving a blowjob to an exhaust vent. Slime beneath me, moon. Slime up above. Ooh, you love my oh. toxic love. <laughs> See. I just imagine something like you know the the spirits in Spirit Away before Chihiro can actually see them, and they're just these kind of shadowy figures. Mm, okay. Yeah, but then later when it's actually described, it's like this terrible amorphous thing. Yeah. I was thinking that guy from Elden Ring that's like a shadow with dreadlocks and little eyes. Hmm. Hmm. Um, what are they called? The Baleful Shadow? Hmm. Is that no? Uh, but Ogion oh. shows up. Uh, thankfully, and just blasts that shadow with light and and destroys it. And he's like, okay, do you need to not do that again? That was super fucking stupid and reckless. Uh, so here's the thing. You have a choice. You can follow my path and be patient. You'll become a very proficient wizard. It'll just take you a while. And you'll develop, you know, a great understanding and appreciation for the natural world and the balance and everything. Or, I can send you off to, uh, was it, Rote? Rote. And, yeah, I'll send you off to Rote. Or Roke. Is that Rote? Rote. 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 I'll send you off to Roke so you can study at the magic school. And, you know, that'll be faster and you'll, you'll be able to ask more questions there. And Ged, of course, chooses okay, the Okay, bye. <laughs> yep. 
and he heads off on a boat and does some and he manages to see see the way to roke through the storm that everyone else thinks is impassable because of course he does um i just like the fact that like you know okion basically drops him at the dock he's like all right this is what you chose uh good luck and get starts to kind of yeah here's my letter of recommendation (laughs) yeah did i make a mistake here yeah, especially since as soon as he shows up in town, everyone's like, oh shit, it's Okeon. It's the guy who stopped an earthquake with a word. He's like, wait, you not, you, you did what? You did, you did what? He did what? I'm turning away an apprenticeship with, with him? He should have stayed with Okeon. That was a goober move. He, he's too, he's too hot for his damn britches. These kids, they got ego. They got uh, the fires of ambition torturing their souls and they will uh, fall to their you know their own petard mm-hmm. should have stayed with ogion mm-hmm. become a chill wizard like and the ship's captain is asking him okay well can you can you bring the wind can you do anything and basically tells him to stay out of the way yeah if you can't help stay out of the way and you know that's that's what he does i believe he does also row but i'm not sure he does and he, i know he, he rows later yeah, he makes friends with the guys on the ship. Yeah, he does. Uh, but then he shows up on Roke, and he shows up on Roke and starts asking around about the entrance to the magic school, and everyone's just like, oh, if you have to ask, then you don't deserve to be there. Which sounds like weird and vague and mysterious until he gets to the center of town and sees the giant fuck-off building that he <laughs> reasons, oh, oh, okay, that's the school. <laughs> like... The way they describe this town, it's just like, oh wow, yeah, no, it, parts of the parts of the school have leached into this town. You know, people are just kind of used to the idea that they'll be thatching a roof and then suddenly the house will be a hundred feet in the air, and they'll just have to sit there for a moment and wait for someone from the school to sort it out. Like, oh my god, I'm sorry. As if being I'd a roofer wasn't away. dangerous enough. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just another wild night in Wizard City. It's kind of like yeah. the town surrounding the school in charlie bone where they're like well some weird shit's happening but it's school business can't really care that much mm-hmm. contrasted with like some weird kids from the magic school contrasted with like the town in gonna compare it to king killer chronicles mm-hmm. the town in there where it's just like i fucking hate that school anyone who goes to it they're all doing a bunch of crazy shit that's gonna get us killed uh hell no i don't want any part of that it's demonic, it's ungodly. That kid went there and he artificed up a fully automatic crossbow <laughs> with runes. He carved some Did shit into a mean loot. <laughs> yeah. He carved some shit into a box I had and it kept getting colder and colder until it shattered. <laughs> yep. And he he finally he finds the school and they don't just let him in. No. Of course, they got to do some weird puzzles with him. About he walks through the doorway, but then he's like back out again, and he's like, "Oh, I'm getting teleported." Yeah, and I don't remember the exact riddle. I didn't uh, bookmark it, but essentially, it's just like, "Oh yeah, I am the. This is the school. I am the doorkeeper. Uh, enter if you can." And and eventually, it's just it's about admitting, you know, humility. He's just, oh, I cannot enter unless you help me. And then he has to say his name in order to enter. And like, okay, yeah, that 
that's fine. And also, like, feels like maybe the the master doorkeeper has just, you know, a running tally, running list of all of the true names of every single person to attend the school. So that if one of their graduates or maybe one of their dropouts uh, starts to get out of control, they can rein them in very easily because they know their name. Yeah, that's their insurance policy. <laughs> Which, why no one used it on Ged at at, a, at some very specific points here. <laughs> one must wonder. But yeah, uh, so he, he enters the school and he meets the Archmage. Uh, he, he, he meets the Archmage whose name is the thing. There's a name. Uh, I, I want to say uh, Nemurl. Yes, Nemurl. Uh, he meets okay. Archmage Nemurl and his crow familiar, raven familiar. And he feels oh, like at there's... this point he also has a little he has a little fox mouse. Oh, he doesn't have uh, not yet. familiar, right? Not yet. Oh, not yet. Um, and then and then he meets Jasper. Oh, Jasper. Who the first thought, real... the first student he meets is some some rich kid who who got into the school mostly off of money and not much off of merit, and hates him because he's here off of off of money and comes from no wealth and this isn't familiar in the slightest ambrose i you know for some reason i didn't actually get that bad of vibes off of yeah, jasper i fair. thought that was kind of like imagined slights Same. on yeah for the most for the Gen most part, part jasper starts out fine it's ged that's being an asshole uh he's like presuming the worst and he's never had he's never had anyone actually be polite to him so yeah he's not sure and, what to make he thinks he's insulting him yeah, and he reacts like he's being insulted, and he keeps he keeps going at that with Jasper. So Jasper starts being a dick back because he perceives Ged as being a dick, because he is. Yeah, and then eventually it does become a genuine shitty rivalry with Jasper looking down on Ged and Ged looking down on Jasper. Yeah, yeah you just you could have been nicer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bad first impression. It's almost like he's casting a social shadow. <laughs> yeah, but that social shadow doesn't extend to his buddy Vetch. No, Vetch, Vetch can do no wrong. And... Vetch is Vetch is so wonderful. Uh... I feared for his life. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I didn't have a clear image of anyone's sort of casting in this, except... Mm -hmm. For Vetch. Um, when I was picturing Vetch, I just kept picturing uh, Samson Kayo, the guy who plays Olawande in Our Flag Means Death. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I got that. Yeah, like, he's described that. as being very, uh, like, relatively dark-skinned. He's described as being, like, a, a relatively big guy, but um, the thing that, like, kicked it was that... Um, like smile and humor, and I think he could really deliver on that really well. He's got a very nice smile. Um, yeah. But that's the only casting I could actually picture through this entire fucking book. Yeah, I didn't bother with it. I I can I could see it. Yeah, I didn't. I guess I kind of had an image. Hold on. Um. I forget. I don't even know his name. So let's see. Um. Oh, that's a cool name actually. Um, the kid who played. Uh, Thresh in Hunger Games. Um, oh, okay. Dio Okeni, Okeni. Yeah. Um, like yeah. But it was 
you know, I, I didn't go go in thinking, okay, cast it. But um, but yeah, okay. I like I like uh, yeah, I like Samson Kaio for the for him too, which means I, I can need see to that much more after like means death. Yes, definitely, and oh, okay, he's not technically uh, technically Ogion is supposed to be the like red brown that everyone else is, but now I'm now that I'm finally thinking about casting a little bit. My brain kind of wants. I don't know. I don't know how he's looking now. Uh, Kingsley. No. No. Uh, yeah. No. Okay. He's still not. He's still not quite the right age for it. Okay. Uh, the guy I was thinking of still not quite the right age. I. Truthfully, I. I. I just. I wanted to get. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna butcher this name uh Adewale Ikenoye uh Agbaje the guy who played Mr. Echo in Lost I just wanted to get him into this in part because I think he's a great actor and I want to see him in more things hmm. yeah. it's like okay who could he play I guess Ogion but he's he's not nearly old enough to be Ogion he's now Ogion's got to be played by Wesley Snipes done <laughs> <laughs> no just I'm kidding uh but anyway um yeah, but so he meets Jasper and Vetch, and he and Vetch, you know, stay up late into the night chatting and becoming friends and, you know, learning from each other, because they're both, they're both from the smaller islands. They both just, you know, really, really like chatting with each other. Vetch actually is from a bit more of a wealthy family, but uh, he's cool about it, so it's fine. Yep. But yeah, they, they start to learn and... Once. What do they even study at this magic school? Then, then we sort of go into like a like a montage, I think. Yeah, we go through a couple like years of montage. doing school yeah. stuff. And yeah, he's this he's learning a lot things, about illusion. Yes, and this is where the parallels to again King Killer really jumped out at me is because you have, you know, a master of each area of spell work, and yeah. But mm -hmm. given that some other book about a school for wizards also has it, like I, I can understand how it would be a thing. But yeah, you know. But uh, but he he starts to learn and he you know gets along with certain ones better than others and I really like but none the of them image. like outright hate him no because he's, he's not being a real... dick to the teachers yeah unlike most you know magic school protagonists whether for YA or for children's lit he's not being a dick to at least one of the teachers yeah that said in some cases it's not you know undeserved but. <laughs> In fact, yeah, in many yeah. cases, it's not undeserved. Yeah. But none of the teachers are a dick to him, either. They're just kind of like, yeah. he has promise, but he's yeah, kind of reckless. Yeah, exactly. They're just like, yeah, he's strong, but that doesn't mean anything if he doesn't manage to direct it right. Mm -hmm. I did really like the uh, scene where they're using magic to pilot little boats around the bay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they learn a lot about the different parts of magic, and... He and Jasper kind of do, like, a little bit of a one-upping thing. And Jasper, you know, Jasper makes him eat his words a little bit because he shows off and shows that, like, hey, I've been at this school for, like, two or three years. I know more than you do, dipshit. Uh, and, and I was starting to see it as, like, uh, like a kind-hearted rivalry. Yeah. Initially, a bit, yeah. But because Ged has, you know, an ego the size of a mountain, he takes it as a slight Granted, that said, Jasper 
Jasper gets on him a little bit. He gets on some classist shit on him. Because, like, he starts to talk about how, oh, you know, you... What about Gontish magic? You know, are you going to do anything with sheep? Or, no, goats. Goats. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little bit like, yeah, yeah, go do goat magic. Pasture boy. But also, that's what he learned with... That was the first thing he learned was goat magic. So, like, he's maybe wrong. you don't really have, have room to be upset right now. <laughs> Get, like... It's it's prejudiced, but it's also accurate. And there's nothing wrong with goat magic. Yeah. A lot of, you know, you're going to go to, after school, you're going to be at a village and you're going to need to help people, probably with some goat herding at some point. Yeah, like this... except, except with this, it's very large winged goats. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's a scene where they pass each other in, in a corridor and, you know, he he asks him about, about like, why... He looks so gloomy, and Ked just says that he's, he's sick of these illusion tricks that only to amuse idle lords. He wants to learn real magic, the rest is mere foolery. Like, Jasper goes, well, even foolery is dangerous in the hands of a fool. Like, Ked is seriously Not insulted by that, but like, dude, you were being really, <laughs> really pretentious there, Ged. Like, yeah, he's gonna, you're, he's talking, gonna slap <laughs> you're talking shit on what the majority of the masters are teaching you. <laughs> and... And again, Jasper's not wrong. Foolery is dangerous in the hands of a fool. Uh, Basically the same they, thing Okeon said in less words. Yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, and, I thought you would have learned this already after you almost summoned a shadow beast <laughs> in Okeon's house. Yeah. yeah and, it's a while. and he even talks later because uh, one, of, one of Vetch's siblings asks him, well, why do you need to have food? Couldn't you just use your magic to create food? And he says, well, yeah, you could make food with my magic that would be, you know... It, it would make you feel full and you know it would it would taste the same it would have the same weight but at the end of the day it's still magic and it wouldn't nourish you it's like that's foolery in the hands of a fool is trying to subsist on only magic food that's the kind of shit they're trying to caution you against yeah. that he eventually there's no nutritional value in magic yeah and i mean it it is you know drawn attention to like Ged did not stop to think why Jasper might hate him he only knew why he hated Jasper it's like you know at least the narrative is aware that Ged's that Ged's being an arrogant kid yeah unjustifiably Ged, Ged is not shown as being right yeah. here not at all <laughs> which is important for a book for kids yes that the protagonist is not always the one in the right uh, oh, but then he spends he spends what's supposed to be like six months or a year or something at this at this uh, tower tower mm -hmm. like the tower of names or some shit mm -hmm. uh, learning to be silent that thing that Ogion tried to teach him and he finishes that period of patience and silence and contemplation early which seems antithetical <laughs> to the message <laughs> I also really like the master's he name. Finishes it in like seven months when it's supposed to be a year. Get no, and they let him go too. They don't like correct him. They're like okay, yeah. you want to breeze through? Go ahead. Yeah, they 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 applaud his ability to to finish that yeah. in in a shorter period of time. And oh, your silence is so efficient. And I really like the uh, the master namer's name. Karem Karmaruk because it's a palindrome. It took me a few tries to like to read over like how the fuck do you say this and then like oh 
It's the same forwards and backwards. Dude definitely made this name himself. Oh, absolutely. Especially given, you know, him and all of his students spend all day copying things down that then get erased mm -hmm. and reversed back. So, of course, his name is a palindrome. And nobody's using their real names at this yeah. school because their true names are the secrets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and Ged's going around calling himself Sparrowhawk, which no one else uses a name that doesn't sound just like a name. Yeah. Which is probably another reason why Jasper dislikes him. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, here's this kid who comes in, he's being all pretentious, and his public name is Sparrowhawk. <laughs> like, he's already trying to make a legend for himself. Too edgy. <laughs> and I do appreciate yeah. the parallel that, Walks like, into he... the magic school. My name's Ebony Darkness Dementia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do appreciate the parallel. This is my this master, Ogion. He looks like Brendan Yuri, and if you don't know who that is, you can F off. <laughs> yeah, I was taught by the guy who holds the earthquake on a leash. No big deal. <laughs> but, um, what was I going to say? Oh, I, I do appreciate, like, the fact that, you know, he is this world's equivalent to Merlin, and he's named after a bird, too. But, you know. No one's calling themselves, like, Raven or any of that. I mean, I can think of one very prominent magic user named Raven. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> that was a bad example. Yes. <laughs> you could have picked so many other birds. I know. <laughs> but, um... If I was a wizard, my name would be Pelican. Because <laughs> I got a pouch full of secrets and it's in my mouth. <laughs> Okay. Perfect for it to hold baby. But um... Hello, my name is Cooper. It's short for Cooper's Hawk. <laughs> but they do get in. Yeah, my name is Bill. Sh my name is Bill Shoe Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, they do get into how the language works. And this is my wife, Osprey. <laughs> okay, no, okay, I'm done. Um, was it? Oh, right. They get into how the language works, and I thought that was interesting. Like, she never fleshes mm -hmm. out, like, a whole vocabulary and glossary, but we don't need that for this. Um, I don't really want that. I like the way it's done. But um, they talk about how, like, you know, you could name, you could use the true name for sea, but you couldn't command the whole world's oceans because the name of, say, the inner sea, inmost sea is different from the sea in this, over here. And there as men. Like, yeah, it. Yeah. You, you have to get more specific with it. Knowing the true name of something isn't just knowing the word. Mm -hmm. You can't just translate it and be good to go. You gotta feel the vibe. You gotta feel you the know? vibe. I'm over in this part of the sea, in this little cove over here, it's gonna be different. Mm -hmm. The way the waves go is different. The way the sand goes is different. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna have man. to pronounce it with a... You're gonna have to pronounce ocean with a different inflection depending on where you are, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But uh, then the, I the idea that, uh, you know, the true name of something would be, you know, potentially very very different depending on the location and it could be ever-changing you know you know it's a little bit a little bit ephemeral to do it with uh to do it with the ocean maybe we should do it with like maybe the wind the wind no. yeah like the name of the wind is maybe constantly changing <laughs> it's funny in this one though like calling in earthsea calling the wind seems like pretty Everyone easy does it. they're yeah. like constantly using it to like mm -hmm. sail and stuff like your average your average sea master mage who didn't even get a degree can do it so. and every boat captain who like sees a wizard is like can you do the wind stuff 
And then if you say no, they're just like, what the hell? You're a wizard. <laughs> what Come are you on. Good for yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then he then he meets his little animal companion. Oh, yeah, when, he, back when he's coming tower. back from that thing. Yep. Yeah, he meets he meets a little Otak. Oh, okay. Yeah. Otak. I when it first was described, like I thought they're small and sleek with broad faces and great bright eyes. I imagined something like a bush baby or a tarsier at first, but then it seemed more like a more like a combination between a squirrel and a, like like you said a fox mouse, like that little thing in Nausicaa. Yeah, I I kind of thought fox mouse. I also so if you've ever played Metroid Other M, there's this tiny <laughs> furry creature with a big like fuck off mouth. I was kind of thinking of like a more rodent like version of that. I was thinking that little uh, big snoot rat from that meme. Take another look at that snout. <laughs> mm. Take a closer look at that snout. Like yeah, like a little like a little kangaroo mouse. Uh, yeah. Little Jeremy. Anyway, we should keep hustling through this. We should keep hustling through this plotline because there's a couple more acts. Oh, yeah. Like this kid keeps going on adventures. Yeah, yeah there's, there's some rigid things. act breaks. Oh yeah. Uh, he does stints. This guy has like he has a lot of stints in different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so he comes back and he's all full of himself and uh, he challenges Jasper to a witch's duel. Which he wins. To be fair, he does win. He has the greater feat of strength. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Vetch is consistently saying, like, hey, calm the fuck down, both of you. This is stupid. You shouldn't do no this. Chill. Jasper, you should know better already. And, and Ged, you should know better, too. Vetch, get your boy, dog. Yep. But do they listen? No. No. Jasper does some really fantastic illusions. And then Ged opens a portal into the realm of the dead. Natural uh -oh. escalation, you know. Yeah. This is the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> because one of the masters gave him a book, like a year before that, they gave him a book to just study on his own. Because that's responsible magic teaching. Here, kid, here's a book. It includes in it the way to open a portal from from the realm of the dead. And he doesn't just call up, like, you know, some random wizard who's buried there. Or like, you know, someone's Uncle Joe. No, he calls upon the spirit of a legendary woman from, like, thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. That people aren't even sure was real. Yeah. Um, and so this weird Which, shadow being comes through it and attacks and tries to kill him. If I was a legendary woman from thousands of years ago and I've been in the afterlife for thousands of years, I do not want to be getting summoned for, like, a, this college kid to impress his friends. <laughs> not even college kid. He's, like, 16 at this point. Yep. And it appears that she does show up very briefly. And she just kind of looks at yeah. him. Yeah. Or at or least the shadow takes on her her yeah. guys. Yeah, it's really unclear, and we'll probably never know. So then a shadow, then a shadow that I looked up what it is in Elden Ring, the cemetery shade. This is what I imagine it looks like, but um, it gets out and it starts like you know tearing up Ged's shit and like slicing him up in the head, until uh, the archmage comes out and is just like be gone, demon, and I don't know. He runs away. The portal closes, but like the shadow is still in the world. It's mm -hmm. on this side of the veil now. And yep. Yeah. So and good job. And it will be drawn 
to him because he's its summoner. Uh, also, the Archmage dies from the effort of uh, getting it away. Good job, asshole. You killed the Archmage. And Ged yeah. ends up bedridden and on death's door for a very long time. Yeah, like several months to the point where the people who were behind him in class are now ahead of him. Which is good. Yeah. He needed a bit of that ego check. Yeah. But as a result, he now has like massive anxiety about using his power because he, he doesn't want something like that to happen again and he thinks that doing that is going to draw the shadow to him um and there's no metaphor to be had here don't worry about the fact that it's been mentioning shadows the whole book no there's no metaphor no uh but yeah he just kind of continues on and he eventually you know earns his staff and graduates and gets his first posting but before he can leave the school he has to go he has to undergo a ritual. He has to leave with the master doorkeeper. And it really does just again boil down to being like saying his name and admitting humility. Yeah. <laughs> it's they get him in a puzzle about like, oh you have to learn my name, I'm the doorkeeper if you want to leave. And he like gets all up in his head about it, but the answer is just ask nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, hey, what's your name? And he's like I, don't, I, I couldn't even think of a funny name off the top of my head. <laughs> Fuck me. Oh, bef I forgot. Before he, uh, before he does that though, when when you know everyone who was behind him is moving on and moving up, um, Vetch graduates oh, yeah. and gets his post. And before he leaves, he he stops and he gives him his his true name. Yeah, they they they, they share each other's true names, which is huge because everyone's kind of been shunning Ged ever since he, you know, yeah, it's almost destroyed intense. reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's... Which, I would have thought he would have got expelled for that. Can you imagine yeah, if Quoth right? pulled any kind of that shit at his magic school? I get his ass I executed. can absolutely imagine that he's going to do something kind of like that and get kicked out of the university. Yep. But, like... but I remember being stressed out reading those Name of the Wind books because he would always be, like, on the verge of getting evicted from his shitty little apartment and getting expelled yep. at the same time. And yeah. he, as soon as he got money, he would spend it all. I mean, because that's that's what happens with people who grow up without money. Yeah. You, but even the tiniest bit is like, oh my god, I'm finally safe for a moment. I can I can indulge a little bit, and then and then it catches up. Yeah. Again and again. And then and again. all of a sudden, you have to go pawn your violin because you're like sixty silver in debt because some shithead at your school that's like you know playing Draco Malfoy <laughs> with you is just like I framed you for I don't know. I'm sorry, I, should, I shouldn't say this. Or, or I don't remember what happened in that book. Cut that out. Cut that out. Or uh, all of a sudden, you uh, you have to sell your plasma in order to continue to afford your meal plan, uh, which multiple times. Oh boy! In college, <laughs> you have to take an entire stellar dynamics course over the span of your Christmas break so that you can. Uh, still graduate on time and your loans won't go into repayment while you are still enrolled in school man this system isn't great is it let's no it's not let's go no to it is not <laughs> yeah yeah let's go to rogue <laughs> all we have to worry about there is people casting illusions to like turn our fucking food into into goddamn worms But, um, but yeah. Oh, Illusion's oh yeah. Ged also gets. I could get a lot Ged of mileage gets, out of Illusion. Ged gets pissed off because Jasper 
like there's this there's this rich noble woman visiting who's very beautiful and jasper like shows off a little bit to try and uh get a position in her court and it's like yeah man he's networking Mm -hmm. he's about to graduate he he's gonna show off also beautiful woman 19 year old boy with magic powers what do you expect kid he's gonna he's gonna show up but ged takes that as like him trying to prove that he's better than me like maybe it wasn't about you (laughs) yeah maybe it was about his future (laughs) which as it turns out he doesn't have much of one as we discover later he doesn't graduate he doesn't earn his staff uh sucks to suck which is weird because it's kind of like a moment of vindication for ged he doesn't take a moment he doesn't really take time to revel in it but it feels like that's what we're supposed to be feeling is like yeah yeah that douchebag didn't graduate but i did like oh man that sucks so he spent all of that goddamn time there for nothing it just didn't seem that antagonistic yeah Mm -hmm. because he really wasn't because ged's biggest antagonist is himself and i guess the shadow which is there was never a lot of like dissection of why he's acting out so much out of insecurity is it like being a seventh son thing where like you're just trying to like hustle for validation i think i mean it's youngest child speaking here <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> i got that vibe yeah and also that he's like he's a nobody from nowhere mm-hmm. he, he wants to and be he... a great wizard and he's trying to take the fast track to it yeah yeah but you know who else is a nobody from nowhere your original mentor the man who stopped the freaking earthquake i don't know why he's insecure well, well, of course, because he's a child. He's he is a child. He was the youngest of a group of children who were much more successful in the eyes of his only parental figure, who also beat him. Uh, there's some complicated emotions there. Yep. But, but yeah. So he graduates, and the archmage is just kind of like, all right. The new yeah. archmage, yeah. Who is it, who? In this case, is played by Wesley Snipes. <laughs> The thing I like about this is the new Archmage doesn't come from the faculty of the school. Like, it's not just assumed that, you know, a member of the faculty will become the next Archmage. They they all, all nine masters go to their, like, hidden special grove. And they, like, hold a magical seance slash, uh, slash election to decide, okay, of all of the mages in the world, who is best suited to become the next Archmage? And, and then they, you know send for that person and bring them in which is good it's it's not great always because in theory you'd want someone to be archmage who's also good at you know teaching and leading and delegating uh but i guess that's probably just part of the process of the election and the nominations Mm -hmm. probably i don't know if i don't know if it's a rule that they hire an archmage from outside instead of promote one of their teachers but like it might have something to do with the fact that when you're in the position of Archmage and a shadow comes through a portal, you're the one that's supposed to lay down your life to get that shadow out of here. Yeah. I mean, it has the vibe of not being just a pure meritocracy. Like, Ogion... Yeah, I'd be really Ogion interested could to find potentially out, like, be the... powerful enough to be the Archmage, but he doesn't fucking want to be. I would, I would be interested to like learn a little bit more about the political expedience of how they choose their Archmage. I mean, we might find out more about that in a future book because uh, Ged as we find out in the epilogue, eventually becomes Archmage. This is true. But but the, the current Archmage is just like, hey, 
I mean, we've got to get you out of here. Part of me wants to keep you around so that you're as safe as possible, but the other part of me wants to get you out of here so that everyone else is as safe as possible, and everyone else's safety is more important than yours. Yeah, sorry, because you summoned a demon and now it's coming for your ass, and should it really put the rest of the students in the line of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the worry is that this shadow demon could possess him and then use his power to just wreak havoc on the whole world. Oh, yeah, because the Shadow Demon possesses people and controls them and also uses their power and knowledge. Yep. Yeah, which you would think, then, they wouldn't have wanted to continue to train him. Kind of, I guess, it's a double-edged sword. Like, If you don't train him, then who's going to defeat the Shadow that is kind of bound to him? But if you do and he fails, uh, there goes the world, I guess. But And that's something that's... Get is dealing with a lot about, but like, hmm, I'm going to be constantly on the run from this shadow chasing me, and if it gets me, I become the world's greatest villain and will destroy everything. So that's not great. But you could also, from the perspective, I mean, it's a kid's book, but from the perspective of these masters, what happens if Ged just dies? Because they, they talk about it at one point. They're like, we're not 100% sure what happens with the shadow if you die. Like, is the shadow then just going to seek out anyone or will the shadow follow you beyond the doors of death? Because because it's connected to you now. And they're not 100% yeah, sure. The only one it wants. And you know what? I think if they were 100% sure that like it would follow them, they'd probably kill him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are a pragmatic folk, these mages. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Wouldn't... I mean, it is wrong, but also could understand them's the breaks you opened a portal to the to the realm of the dead there's some consequences twice twice he did it twice yeah twice this isn't even the first time you Two managed nickels. to it's get lucky lot, enough to get off with a nice. warning the first time yep Ugh. so his first assignment uh right out of wizard academy is a nice little village was where, 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 was I to understand that this like was like a little floating platforms village that he was at. That's where I was picturing. I think it was it. just a very small. Yeah, small it, it was it was several like small islands. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Well, he's there, uh, you know, helping people with their boats and their fishing and doing the wind and doing some healing. Um, he makes some friends with the fisherman. The fisherman's kid gets sick. Oh, this was a tough scene. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The the kid... Ged tries his damnedest, even the extent of, like, pulling his own soul out of his body to go grab the kid's soul and bring it back to the kid's body, but uh, you can't let your soul get too far away from, from your body, and he almost bites it. Mm -hmm. And And as he's doing that, he can feel it, like, drawing the shadow's attention. Like when you put on the yeah. ring and the Eye of Sauron just knows exactly where you are. Yeah. And so the kid dies, and his friend is understandably upset because here's this mage who, I mean, he can't see that this guy just pulled his soul out of his body trying to retrieve his dead son's soul. Like, he just sees him sit there for a while and then say, nope, can't do it, and then pass out. Which sucks. I, I was really, at this point, interested in the perspective of the people who just like have a town wizard assigned to them by the academy that's 
everyone, all these wizards seem to be different, so you don't exactly know what this person is capable of, and you're kind of just like, okay, well, we trust you because you're the magic guy in our town. But they're going to have their limits, and you're not even going to really know, like, how well they're trained and what they're capable of. So when this happens, it's just like, what do you mean you can't do it? You're the goddamn wizard. You got to take his word for that, and that's mm -hmm. tough, because he's not from this village. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, for what it's worth, the father doesn't seem to actually blame him all that much. Like, at least, no, he is know, I mean, he's sad about it, and like, you can... At least I got the impression like there's this sort of unspoken. He, he wants to question him, but he doesn't. But yeah, yeah, and but he realizes that oh yeah, the, that shadow's still out there, and as long as I'm here, these people aren't safe. So he's about to, you know, like Wolverine, he's about to throw on his rucksack and wander off down the road. But then they're like, oh, wait, actually, I know you have a dark quest of torment for yourself, but, like, there's this dragon uh, a couple islands away that, like, has a bunch of dragon kids. And part of having a wizard here was that we were hoping we could get defended from it. So if you're going to leave, like, and he's like, okay, I'll do the dragons first, and then I'll... No big I'll... deal, I'm just going to go stop the dragons. Yeah, he... So he was initially there specifically because, like, hey, we've got to make sure, you know, we've heard that the dragons are going to become more active from a nearby spot. So maybe we should, you know, keep an eye out for those dragons and, you know, we'll send you there. Yeah. So when he's about to go out, he's like, well, I should at least try and protect them from the dragons before I fuck off. Because yeah, either I'm gonna tie up this whole dragon thing first. Yeah. Either I go there and I die and then I leave and then, you know, I don't come back or I go there and I deal with the dragons, and then I leave forever, and I don't come back. But, like, he goes to the dragons and kills a couple of them. And then, you know, the adult dragon shows up, and he starts talking to it. And he just happens to pull out its name. Because he was reading a book once, and he's like, this might be the same dragon. Worth a shot. Turns out it is. And he got yeah. lucky. He got so fucking lucky. And the dragon offers, for its freedom, offers to tell him the shadow's name. But he refuses. He says, no, uh, instead what you're getting is you have to leave this place alone. Yeah. And the specific verbiage of it was just like, do not fly west towards this village. Like, don't ever go towards the village. Yeah. And I was thinking like, okay. But the wording of it was such that like... I thought the dragon could be like, oh, sure, I'll never fly west towards the village. And then as soon as Gen leaves, the dragon just, like, slides into the water and be like, I'll go swim, though. Yeah, or I'll, I'll fly, around I'll the fly world. southwest. Yeah. But he makes him promise him and his his sons said nothing about the daughters. But That's true. Yeah, there is a lot of uh, genie wish stuff that can yep. get messed around I with I did here. like the dragon, didn't really think though. About any of like, that. he was... The, he was absolutely massive and conniving. Like this is a good, this is a good evil dragon. I like it. Mm -hmm. And you know what I actually liked about this? I was thinking is that it doesn't over mythologize mm -hmm. dragons that a lot of high fantasy does. It's not like a dragon is like, you know, an ancient being of the like the primordial earth before mankind. It's not some like abstract force. I think in like Skyrim and stuff, dragons were like weird abstractions, mm -hmm. like spirits of destruction yeah. or something and it's like 
it's more like no, it's like a it's just a creature. Yeah. It speaks English. Yeah. Um they are but it's just like a part of the ecosystem. I think they are described as ancient, And it's been like because like they speak the first language. Yes. But like they're I don't know, they're still yeah, they're still creatures. Yeah, they just live in the world same as yeah. everybody else. They're not like you know, birthed from a volcano in the time before the water was in the seas or something like that. We're just trying to make a living. Eating sheep has trying to raise my damn kids on this island here. And the guy shows up and like strong arms me with my own secret name. I don't know how this kid got my own secret name. And wants me to, you know, care about the the spirit of his rule to never go to the village. Eat shit. I'm gonna fucking chow down on that whole village. For real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking Gen Z. For real. Respectfully. On God, on God. Uh, these villagers are bussing. <laughs> on God, these villagers bussing. For real. Respectfully. Uh, but I like me. And, but he does it. He he saves them, and then he goes back, and he's like, "Hey, just so you know, I did this thing, and now I'm gonna go again. Bye." And there, I would imagine the villagers be like, "Okay, should we file uh, for a replacement with the academy?" Oh, he's gone. Do we get another one? Are you gonna do that, or do we have to file that? Yeah, and and he he genuinely tries to make it work. Like he tries to go back to Roke. But some mystical force won't let him, presumably because the minute he left, the masters were like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, they seal the island against him pretty much. He can't get back. He's got shadows after him. Yeah. Nope, can't do it. Kid's got shadows. That boy ain't right. Shadows can't do it. Not today. Not today. And so he, you know. He turn. He tells them to turn back, and he ends up. Where does he end up again? After. Like he he sails he sails back. He goes. He starts. Doesn't he start island hopping? He does start island hopping a bit, uh, but he's he's going around for a good long while. Mm -hmm. And then. And then. I'll be honest. This is a little bit of it where it just kind of lost me for mm -hmm. a moment. Yeah, I was kind of fading in and out at this point in the book. But it, it just kind of, uh, it hit a point where, like, okay, now he's island hopping, and he's he's trying to run from some shit, and he gets to, uh, he gets to this spot, and a person's like, oh, you should go here to the, to the court of fucking, uh, Terranon? Definitely not evil. Yeah, this is not suspicious at all. Thank you, thank you, mysterious stranger. Yeah, he should go to, uh, yeah, the court of Terranon on Oskil. Sure. And and so he does and he meets a guy named Skior. Uh Skior. And then when he, he gets to Oskil, Skior gets him and is just like, Alright, I'll show you the way to to to, Terra, to Terranon. Turns out Skior's been uh been some or been uh fucking possessed by the shadow. Oh no mm -hmm. and they fight and the the little the little bud, the little creature gets knocked away from him and his his staff burns in his hand because it can't channel his amount of power, apparently. Uh, but he eventually oh escapes and gets into this castle, which just so happens to also be the court of Terranon. Um and he meets <laughs> Oh, I ended up How here. Did this he happen? meets Sarat, who's the lady of the court, and also definitely not that girl he met when he was a kid. 
No. Um, and she's married to this really, really, really old man, Bender-esque. Uh, and, you know, Ged and Serret sort of strike up a little bit of a flirtation. They start to get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, and then one day she takes him underneath the castle to the Stone of Terranon in this ancient chamber that existed before the castle did. Uh, and has to get through three different locks to get into it. A threefold lock, where have I heard of something like that before? Uh, I wonder. Holding some kind of ancient secret behind it. Maybe some sort of ancient stone-based secret behind it. Ah. Uh, some sort of primordial evil that could get loosed upon the world if he's not careful. Um, and, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but but he he like starts to get a wicked bad vibe from the from the stone. He's like, nope, I am not listening to a thing that thing says. I know you say it could tell me the name of the thing, but uh, no, not doing that. Two, I'm leaving now. Goodbye. Uh, and she's like, no, stay. Become the king. Rule with me. Listen to the stone. As, uh, and then, then he gets chased out of the chased out of the castle with her because uh, her husband's like, oh, how dare you try to turn him to be your puppet and uh, usurp me? So he he attacks them both and chases them out of the thing, and she turns into a seagull and dies. Uh, and he turns into a Women. hawk. And- Am I right? He turns into a hawk and flies away, but not until after finding the frozen corpse of his little buddy. Oh yeah, his little Otak has been has been killed. It's very sad. Yeah, but but she turns into a she turns into a seagull, and it's very hand waved over. We're supposed to understand that she died. Yeah. But it's very very waved past. It's your, like yeah, was, like the was it the ravens of the of Benderas? The, they were like weird they were, raven beasts. Yeah, raven. Be- they were like. Realistically, they were, they were like the, uh, they were like the, the Tangus in, uh, in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. They were humanoid <laughs> birds, humanoid yeah. bird beasts under the control of some and evil so as, wizard. They were creepy. And so as Get escapes in his hawk form, there's a little bit of Animorphs rules where you don't want to stay an animal too long or else you start thinking like them and you forget that you yeah. were human. Yep. I have a note in there. I, I have a note in my book specifically about that. Uh, he goes says, to bias on us. Oh, I don't, I don't just say Tobias. Um, the wizard had learned the price of the game, which is the peril of losing oneself, playing away from the truth. The longer a man stays in a form not his own, the greater this peril. Uh, and I just have the note, oh cool, this series has Nothlets too. <laughs> because uh, for those of you unfamiliar with that particular piece of vocabulary, a Nothlet is the name of a person who has stayed in morph longer than two hours and has gotten stuck in it. Yes. But, um... That was the thought I had, so, too. <laughs> yeah. Get the Nothlet. But he doesn't quite The thing I'll it. say about this... So, so there's this whole thing with the stone. Um, it's, it's this ancient being. Like, before the creation of the world, this thing existed. It is a primordial force entombed in this stone. And it wants nothing more than to accumulate more servants and to be freed. Uh... And that's a really cool idea to just sort of drop in for half a fucking chapter. I I would have liked more time in this place to get like a bit more of that slow build and and then, you know, have it have more of an impact because he's he is at this castle 
for a literal chapter yeah. for maybe a dozen pages. It it's bonkers. I don't know, I like that they didn't go into it. A lot of the world building of this first book like leaves a lot of stuff where it's like, yeah, but we don't need to get into that world building right now. Yeah, I know, like, but I, I just want more. <laughs> one ancient evil at a time. All right. <laughs> yeah, one existential crisis at a time. <laughs> it's like, nope, the stone from before from before recorded history and before the raising of land is trying to talk to me. No, I don't have time for this. I have to go fight my shadow self. No. Meanwhile, yeah, I'll deal with this later. Meanwhile, I was reading no, that just quest. thinking it's about my, my own I'm gonna leave. my own personal theory for what's behind the the door of stone in Kingkiller Chronicles. What is your theory? I think it's the scrail. I think it is the first I think it is like the last remaining scrail and Quoth opens the door because he's reckless and stupid. He opens the door unleashing the scrail upon the world. Hmm. And that's why he feels such a personal responsibility for it. That's why they're seen as this new thing, because he just released them a couple years ago. But then he decides. That's also to go why we don't really hear about anyone from the university uh, at the point in time where the story's being told. Because it got destroyed yeah. by the square. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, anyway. Yeah. So, we, but Hawk like, Gad finds his way but back like, to this. Ogion's like place. weirdly ties together, it does. which is. Which is frustrating, because it's like, okay, how much has he really been impacted by this? Am I finding, am I finding confirmation of my theory by reading a book he very clearly based his on? <laughs> hey, Miles, don't worry, he's never gonna write it anyway, so we'll never find out. <laughs> Sorry. Look, <laughs> I'll believe that we'll get the third book before, uh, before we'll get that TV show or the video games that were ordered like a decade ago. <laughs> Remember when those started getting happen, getting talked about? When it was announced that Lionsgate had picked up the project of a, uh, of a film and TV adaptation of the King Killer Chronicles, and that Lin Manuel Miranda got attached to do the music for it. Remember when that happened I have five years ago? You mentioned this, <laughs> and then nope. Uh, but yeah, he flies back to Ogion. And Ogion immediately recognizes him. He's like, oh, shit, what did you do now? What did you do now? And just sort of nurses him back to human form. And when he comes to, he's like, Ogion, I fucked up. Ogion, I fucked up. There's so much wrong. Oh, you don't say. You almost got stuck as a hawk. Yeah. What do you mean you opened another door into the realm of the dead? That's what I sent you away to avoid. But he... He counsels him on it. Mm -hmm. He gives him actual, like, actionable advice. Tells him, no, of course this thing absolutely has a name, and you need to turn yourself towards it. You can't keep running from it. You running from it gives it power. And and he sends him off with a new staff that he made himself, and or that Ogion made for him. Uh, and, you know, some advice for how to proceed. And he starts trying to track down his shadow. He doesn't just, you know, go to where it is. He, he follows it. He finds it and he follows it. Mm -hmm. And as he's chasing it, he's realizing, oh, yeah, it's running from me. It's afraid of me, too. It doesn't want me to catch it. And then it steers him to a bunch of rocks and crashes his ship. Yep. And he meets this weird old two people... I don't know if they're a couple or yeah, not, this, but I don't think so. I think they were siblings. Oh, no, no yeah. they were siblings. They were siblings. So, this this was a the darkest thing in this book. It was so dark. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they're these... I wasn't sure if they were siblings or just members of different noble families. Um, I thought they were. But he realizes that they are probably nobles from a nearby island. Noble children who got just abandoned there during a bid for power. Yep. When the power shifted, and they they've been helped. there. They've been there for like seventy years, and they're they're completely nonverbal. They're afraid of any humans because they have kind of forgotten that other people exist. Uh, but one of them because they've been the, cast away since like they were ages eight and five. Yeah, the woman gives him half of a either ring or bracelet. I think it was a ring, but I was reading somewhere else and it was describing it as a bracelet, so I'm not sure. Um, but the narrator makes a little bit of a mention of like, oh, he won't discover the truth of that until much later when he goes to goes goes to this barrow and and clears it of clears it of an evil spirit and saves a young girl from it. It's like I have rescued sleeping what? princesses from uh, or have rescued princesses from sleeping barrow kings. <laughs> You may have heard of me. My name is Quoth. Uh, but but that's the plot of the second book, which is why I'm really excited to read the second book. It's like, okay, you're giving me a little bit of a sequel tease. All right, yeah. I'm cool with that. Uh, but it also creates this understanding from the reader's mind now of like, oh, okay, he's going to live through this. Somehow, he is going to live through this. Which comes around the same time Ged himself is beginning to have hope mm. in this fight. Which is cool. It's, it's some nice little mirroring of our experiences. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he puts together the wreckage of his ship with magic and, and just sails off with like five planks of wood and a sea turtle, but he does it. Uh, and eventually he starts to land in, I want to say the Eastern archipelago. Yeah. And he starts to hear stories about like, oh, uh, no, he doesn't start to hear those stories yet. Uh, but he, he catches up to his shadow at one point and grabs hold of it, and then his hands go through it, and he gets, like, weirdly fucked up for a moment. Mm -hmm. But then he starts to travel around more and chase it down more, and he, he starts to hear stories of, you know, someone without a shadow walking around that looks like him, uh, and that freaks him the fuck out, because he's like, oh god, the shadow is taking on my appearance why is it taking on my appearance? Can it do that now that we've made contact? How am I going to kill it if I can't make contact with it? And he ends up running into Vetch. Yeah, he ends up on Vetch's home island of Ifish. And yeah. Yep. And he just he just finds him walking around town with his sister. Yeah, his sister who has just a small dragon as a pet yes. because on this island the dragons are it, these are these are tree dragons. They're roughly the size of squirrels. And you just you can just have them as pets. Yeah. I want one. It's just it's just dragons. Yeah, that's what I said. I like that's what I said. I like that dragons are yeah. just animals. Yeah, to a degree, some of them. But yeah, it's it's very interesting and weird. But he meets he meets Vetch's sister, and there's like a weird bit of maybe flirtation with his sister, which like realistically in King Killer would wow. not be weird at all or out of place at all but in this he's been so separated from that aside from those brief bits of flirtation with the enchantress girl that like it feels kind of out of place also it's gross because Ged is 19 and Vetch's sister is 14 yeah uh yeah but like very clearly laying some groundwork for later books being like, oh yeah, and Ged and Vetch's sister are 
are married now. Like I, I feel like that's coming down the pipeline, and I'm I'm fine with it. I think it lays, I think it lays a decent groundwork in this book without ever making it explicitly romantic in almost any way. Yeah, it's just like okay, yeah, she's the sister of his best friend, and she has kind of a crush on him. All right, fine. Realistic, not that weird. Realistically, I think there was a bit of flirtation happening between Vetch's brother and Ged too. (laughs) Yeah. in fact, that's another one of my notes. <laughs> Ged watched him with wonder and some envy, and exactly so he watched Ged. To each it seemed very queer that the other, so different, yet was his own age. Nineteen years. Ged marveled how one who had lived nineteen years could be so carefree. Admiring Muir's comely, cheerful face, he felt himself to be all lank and harsh, never guessing that Muir envied him even the scars that scored his face, and thought them the track of a dragon's claws and the very rune and sign of a hero. Fucking gay! <laughs> oh, you know what? Whack. Muir is the only other character who's named after a bird. Just saying. Really? Mm-hmm. Muir is a bird. Ah, okay. Okay. Alright. So make of that what you will. It's something it's something like a gannet or a guillemot. They're funky. Okay, hold on. Let me search AO3. Uh <laughs> there are like thirty or forty fakes of these. I I I was curious because it never gained the following. <laughs> Wow. All right, we're going to get to the end of this. Yeah, I believe in us. Uh, yes. Get is about to go. Get is like, I'm on the hunt for my uh, shadow demon. And uh, Vetch is, of course, like, oh, I can't let you go out and do that alone. I'm your friend, goddammit. I'll go with you to do that. And he's like, no, you can't do it. And he's like, well, who's going to tell the story of how valiantly you died if, I don't know, just, I'm going on the goddamn adventure with you. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. We're wizards. Yeah, it could possibly happen. And it, it very much has the vibe of, like, I'm your friend. I'm not going to let you face this on your own. Don't be an idiot. Mm-hmm. And, like, to a certain degree, Vetch feels responsible because he feels like he should have stopped Ged from getting into that duel with Jasper. Yeah. Which, like, no. Vetch, you can't save Ged from himself. Only he can do that. So they sail for days and days and days, and it's remarked upon about, like, how much not sleeping get is doing to keep the wind going constantly and vetch is like oh my god this guy's a tank yeah and he can feel he can feel the call of that of that shadow he can feel the pull towards it and despite the fact that vetch's magic which is very much tied to the land of earthsea like wizards are not as powerful on the ocean despite the fact that vetch is losing power ged doesn't seem to be which is weird, and I'm sure will get explored later, because it doesn't get explored in the rest of this book. And there's, you know, as they were saying, they come upon, like, they get further and further away from civilization, and they come upon, like, kind of the last, the last islands, the like, the very last island before you just get to the eastern sea, which is, apparently there is no, <laughs> there's nothing else past there. They even ask. Yeah, yeah the, I thought it, it seemed kind of like, the end of the world i couldn't really visualize it in my head that well but it was just like there was just like neither land nor water they were just kind yeah. of there on a void see uh yeah so they they sail for a long time on just blank open ocean until eventually they hit something they run aground mm-hmm. but there's no ground that vetch can see yes. but ged sees it ged sees an island and he goes ashore and he he 
he sees his father and he talks with his father and he talks with wow. many other people all of them being guises of the shadow mm-hmm. until the shadow takes his own form and they name each other and they're they're both named ged they're both ged mm-hmm. and vetch just sees ged embrace something like physically hug nothingness and then walk back and get into the or no he like the land he's standing on immediately vanishes and he falls into the ocean and vetch sails over to him and picks him out and remarks and he was worried for a bit in the boat be like oh because the shadow is like he's now accepted that he's going to die he's accepted his own mortality Mm -hmm. uh Yeah, Ged had neither lost nor won, but naming the shadow of his death with his own name had made himself whole, a man who, knowing his true self, cannot be used or possessed by any power other than himself, and whose life therefore is lived for life's sake, and never never in the service of ruin or pain or hatred or the dark. In the creation of Ea, which is the oldest song, it is said, only in silence the word, only in dark the light, only in dying life, bright the hawk's flight on the empty sky." Like, yeah, he's now accepted that he's going to die, and he's not using his power to subvert that anymore. Because so many times when the shadow's mentioned, or he feels the shadow's presence, it's about trying to use his power to thwart death, or control death in some way. Mm -hmm. But accepting his death is the only way to avoid that shadow from taking control of him, and essentially turning him into a lich. Uh, Which is a really interesting way of creating this story. Like, it is... It is a morality story. It is an entire metaphor, but it's fantastically done. It is. And it kind of closes with a little bit of narration about, like, oh, they arrived and were greeted by Vetch's sister and, you know, feasted. And in all of the in all of the stories that get told about Ged and about how he became archmage of the entire archipelago and this and that and this and that, his battle with the shadow is never talked about. Because... It was a personal journey for him. It wasn't anything for anyone else. Yeah. Like, he he didn't confront his own mortality for other people. That was solely for himself. And He might have done a little bit of battle in the mindscape. And I liked, I liked this concluding paragraph because it contrasts with, you know, before he faces the shadow and he's sailing with Vetch and they're talking about, they're talking about what they wish they could have done. Like, they're both expecting to die. Mm-hmm. And and then you know he's talking about all that, how he wants to see the entire archipelago and you know go through the dragon's run and then you know he it talks about how he he will do those things now he's faced his, his death he came to that point yeah. before the encounter that he was he was ready for and that's that's an important lesson um, it's an important lesson for anyone to learn and anyone to come to is that death is one of the few things in life that is certain and that acknowledging that acknowledging that your time is temporary is essential to being able to live your life completely and i don't know about y'all but i'm hyped for death like i'm down i'm totally zen on it i'm just like all right whenever whatever yeah we talked about this a little bit in the percy jackson episode uh we talked about this a lot of it in the percy jackson episode uh I have a bit more dread with it, purely, not purely, but mostly out of the idea of eternity. I I hate the idea of anything for eternity, mm-hmm. even even non-existence. Non-existence stre- stresses me out uh, to a certain degree. But like, 
I know there's nothing I can do to avoid death. I'm not, you know, trying to run from it or anything. I know that it's going to happen, and when it happens, it's going to happen, and then I won't care anymore because I'll be dead. Yep. But, yeah, like, I... What are you going to do? I can be as worried as That's I want about not existing anymore, but there's nothing I can do about it once it happens. <laughs> That's not... You can't worry enough to make yourself still alive. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's... that's uh, which... Oops. So, uh, after finishing reading it, uh, my fiancé and I were watching uh, the Studio Ghibli movie Tales of Earthsea, which uh, is great. Y'all should watch that, too. It continues the story of Sparrowhawk as an adult, and he is uh, on his adventuring crap, and the the themes of the ending are exactly the same. The villain is like a wizard who is doesn't want to die so bad that he becomes a monster. Mm-hmm. And the lesson is like, you know, get used to it. Chill out. Yeah, it's a uh, very zen thing. Like, Ogun's Ogun trying to teach him, you know, how to accept the world as it is without looking for it, how to, how to use it, how to make it to turn it towards his advantage. Like, there is a big emphasis in, you know, in kind of actual zen of understanding the impermanence of everything, including yourself. Yeah. Um... But then we get into the afterword, which, Jay, I guess, since you had the audiobook, did you get this afterward? I didn't get nah. it either. Okay. Nope, so this is my, new to me. Okay. My book just ends. It's it's several pages by Ursula K. Le Guin, and it talks about the process of writing this book, how she made an intentional choice to make just about everyone darker-skinned, and that people kind of pushed back against that to a certain degree, but also it's not made clear. Like, she wanted to make sure she hooked people into the story before making it clear, so that by the time people got to that, they'd be able to just accept it, mm-hmm. rather than like, well, I'm not gonna read this book because it's got black people in it. Which in 1968 and was certainly a thing they did. Absolutely it was. Um, and, and she <laughs> The ta- old bait and switch. She talks about being concerned about it initially, um, because normally, normally she wrote adult books um and she she kind of talks about it a little bit she said uh would writing for older kids be so different from just writing why despite what some adults seem to think teenagers are fully human and some of them read as intensely and keenly as if their life depended on it sometimes maybe it does um and continues on a little bit Uh, Most of this marvelous flood of literature was written for adults, but modernist literary ideology shunted it all to children. And kids could and did swim in it happily as in their native element, at least until some teacher or professor told them that they had to come out, dry off, and breathe modernism ever after. Talking about the idea of um, fiction and fantasy being just relegated to being kids' books. Like, oh, that's for kids, that's for kids. Uh, Because at the time, the vast majority of fiction books... uh, the best-selling fiction books were adult fiction. Uh, there wasn't even a category for uh, children's fiction yep. in the bestsellers. Uh, and when looking through the 1968 bestsellers, I happened upon a little something interesting. One, two of the top ten best-selling nonfiction books of the entire year, number one and number ten, were both from Better Homes and Garden, which how far we have come i guess but uh the fact that better home and garden also used to put out books instead of like a magazine is wild to me in in the age when magazines were actually popular or at least vastly more popular than they are today Mm -hmm. 
but specifically, notable literature in uh, 1968, uh, The Double Helix by James D. Watson. Oh. Yes, of that, Watson that and Crick. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, so that was that was brand new shit. That was just popping off, that DNA. That was just popping off. But what else was also just popping off was 2001 A Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, hey. Which Word. led me to do a little bit of research because 2001 A Space Odyssey was also the second top grossing movie of 1968. Because well, a book and movie at the same time? Book and movie at the same time because the book... Or the movie was based off of a short story initially, but then Arthur C. Clarke co-developed the screenplay with uh, oh, with Kubrick and then wrote the novelization of it, which expanded upon things a bit, which is why, you know, I've erroneously said for a long time that 2001 A Space Odyssey is the most faithful book-to-movie adaptation in existence, and I still believe that, but it's because the book and the movie were written concurrently with large parts of both being written by the author so of course um that makes sense but yeah yeah but fucking the fact that that was happening at the same time as earthsea is really cool to me partially just because i love 2001 a space odyssey the book realistically a bit more than the movie uh though i appreciate what the movie does kubrick's not my favorite director and i think there are aspects of the audio design that just hurt me physically um intentionally which is frustrating like i get it from a narrative point of view it's supposed to hurt you but i don't want to be hurt while engaging with media <laughs> um but but yeah i mean you know me i like to delve into contemporary uh media of a thing so yeah good 1968 a good year for being like a child with a Pink Floyd record in a joint reading books in the garage. Pink Floyd also would have been a bit inaccurate. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I could get into the music. <laughs> I don't know. What did they but, have? Uh, I'll also say chances are pretty good. If you are listening to this in high school, you probably read Romeo and Juliet and you probably watched at least one, uh, at least one movie adaptation or some scenes from movie adaptation. There's the Baz Luhrmann one, but the other one came out in 1968. Uh, and was another one of the top grossing ones, as well as fucking Planet of the Apes, Planet number the seven Apes. of 1968, Planet of the Apes. But I am going to get into music for a moment. Uh, skipping over the number one because it's a Beatles song and I don't care. Uh, fucking fight me. I don't like the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, the pops pops are always it's tops. True. Yeah. Fuck that. Uh, but that doesn't that doesn't say much that the Beatles were number one on the charts. Fucking no shit. Number four, sitting on the dock of the bay, Otis Redding fucking phenomenal uh number nine mrs robinson simon and garfunkel of course uh oh. we got some some of the doors in there the grassroots the temptations the vogues the supremes um one jamie you and i have a bit of a frustrating uh emotional history with jumping jack flash by the rolling stones uh the hardest uh, fucking level in elite beat agents yeah but that shit went so hard oh, it did. you stopped those aliens it was phenomenal uh, but number two, I got tripped up on number two because I had never heard of it before. And it was the, it was the second most popular song of the year. Like you would expect that you would hear about it. It's Love is Blue, specifically a version of it that was recorded by, uh, Paul Moriart or Moriart, it's French. Um, so I don't know necessarily, but Love is Blue had come out in 1967. It was, uh, 
the oh what was it it was an entry for eurovision from luxembourg hmm. but this specific recording the the Moriot version was recorded instrumentals only by a french symphonic composer the number two top song in the united states in 1968 was a symphonic or instrumental cover of the luxembourgian eurovision entry that's something hmm. must have been really good then i listened to it it's it's musically interesting but also like what the fuck <laughs> what <laughs> what are you talking about but one more fun little note with it uh it hit number one for like two months in the u.s and as a result it is it was the last uh it was the only french artist or song by a french artist to hit number one in the u.s uh top 100 billboard until daft punk fucking over <laughs> 40 years later wow <laughs> yeah in the u.s we don't get a lot of french That's music we, i guess we don't but like there's so many weird little bits to it. it it's part of why i love doing the contemporary pop culture thing because you just get these weird little things these weird little snippets of information it always always gets me a little excited um a glimpse in time. It was 1968. You were sitting in a chair shaped like an egg, big stereo headphones on, and you sit down with Earth Sea, and you're like, "Oh my God, what if you lived on an Earth that was also a sea?" Uh, but the last thing I want to I want to close with is the last little bit of Le Guin's, um, and I mean like the last bit of her afterward in this. She talks about how so much fantasy has to do with um, with war and with warfare and with violence. But that there is no war in Earthsea. No soldiers, no armies, no battles. None of the militarism that came from the Arthurian saga and other sources. And that by now, under the influence of fantasy, fantasy war games, has become almost obligatory. So this must have been a printing in, like, the 80s. Yeah. Um, but I didn't and don't think this way. My mind doesn't work in terms of war. My imagination refuses to limit all the elements that make an adventure story and make it exciting. Danger, risk, challenge, courage, to battlefields. A hero whose heroism consists of killing people is uninteresting to me, and I detest the hormo hormonal war orgies of our visual media, the mechanical slaughter of Ooh. endless battalions of black-clad, yellow-toothed, red-eyed demons. War as a moral metaphor is limited, limiting, and dangerous. By reducing the choices of action to a war against whatever it is, you divide the world into me or us, good, and them or it, bad, and reduce the ethical complexity and moral richness of our life to yes, no, on, off. This is puerile, misleading, and degrading. In stories, it evades any solution but violence and offers the reader mere infantile reassurance. All too often, the heroes of such fantasies behave exactly as the villains do, acting with mindless violence, but the hero is on the right side and therefore will win. Right makes might. Or did might make right? If war is the only game going, yes, might makes right, which is why I don't play war games. To be the man he can be, Ged has to find out who and what his real enemy is. He has to find out what it means to be himself. That requires not a war, but a search and a discovery. The search takes him through mortal danger, loss, and suffering. The discovery brings him victory. The kind of victory that isn't the end of a battle, but the beginning of a life. Fuck yeah! That's awesome. Damn. <laughs> she, she does those. Those real poignant monologues man mm -hmm. 
reading that is part of what made me so fucking excited. Like the end of the book is got what is what got me really, really excited to read the next book because I just want to devour more of what she's writing. Mm-hmm. I want to get more of that. Yeah. Um, Le Guin's the goat. What can you say? She's great. Yeah. And also having read this, her her quote at the back of House of the Scorpion, praising it as a work of good fiction, hits so much fucking harder. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like not only is it like Imagine okay yeah Le Guin I've I've heard of her she's you know very prolific she's she's got this good following she's got a reputation as being a great author like oh I understand what it means now to have her endorse it in this way mm-hmm. hell yeah <laughs> that is an honor thank you everybody for listening to the Honor Book Fair podcast once again where we were talking about Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K Le Guin the goat uh, I'm Miles or. Er, Oh Christ! I'm Jay. I've been here with Miles and Dan. Uh, what are we reading next That's week, guys? Question. So there have been I've had some ideas about it. Obviously, like one of my main things that I was pitching was uh, Wizard of Earthsea. Uh, but another another thing I'm thinking about. Oh, didn't mean to go to Gmail. Oh God! Oh God! Uh, Let's not worry about it too much right now. Well, maybe I'll no. So add it after the fact. So we should talk about this a little bit. There's some other things. Um, there's, uh, so I was okay, I was thinking about like this. Eleven forty-five here. Um, so there's a couple of things we could do. Some newer things we could do. The second, uh, the second Earthsea book. Uh, oh, we did talk about doing some Pratchett. Maybe we could do some. Uh, we free men. Yeah. Uh, I was also thinking about some some newer stuff. There's uh, Skin of the Sea, which is um another. I've heard Another book, good. it's about, like, yeah, I've heard really good things about it, but I haven't read it. Um, My Side of the Mountain was hitting it. me. Uh, the second Percy Jackson book, Island of the Blue Dolphins. There's a lot of different things we could pull from, yeah. um, but I think we should I think we should decide on one right now. Um, mm. I am cool with it being We Free Men. I'm interested in that. Uh, me too. I think we could have some Pratchett. All right. Damn, we're going from Le Guin to, to Pratchett. Uh, this is this is good. This is a very good life choice. This is this is going to be good. Uh, Dan, you've read We Free Men, right? I have. It like okay. Earthsea is a book that I wish I had read when I was younger, so I would have liked it even more. But yes, is this is this a book we should do as two episodes or one? I'll be honest. I need to check the page count on it because I forget. Okay, I am gonna look that up right now. Uh. Dan, did you have uh, oh, promos right. to do? I, I did. Um, so, the zine that I've been published in previously, uh, Archive of the Odd, I am actually in their second issue. Uh, I'm going to be... I have a story that's going to be published in their issue. Uh, the theme is Monsters. Uh, I added not only a written story, but I also have some artwork to go along with it. And I'm also being partnered with an artist for the book who will illustrate something of her own in conjunction with what i've got there so that's fucking incredible man i'm so proud of you that's Thanks. that's amazing yeah that's cool congrats yeah we'll have that link in the bio i won't awesome. forget about that i will not do i won't forget about it i won't do it Thanks. uh so we free men is 352 pages by the way so oh, that's two episodes, two episodes to yeah. me that's a two episode yeah um if not theoretically more but let's go with two let's try and shoot yeah. for two episodes with it um, stopping at roughly the halfway point, wherever that may be, we'll we'll text each other about it. Okay. But um, 
other plugs, hey. you can go to mimicsmarket.com for the other project that Jay and I are in, which is the podcast Shooting the Sheet, where me, Jay, and uh, Jay's fiance, Jay, talk about tabletop RPGs and stuff. It's a whole lot of fun. We put that out every week, theoretically every Saturday. Uh, and we're hoping to, we're hoping to, you know, get back into the swing of recording this now that, uh, now that I actually have a living space that works again, and Jay, you're about to have a living space that works again, and all of that good stuff. Though I do have another scheduled power outage this Friday, which is oh. wonderful. In the midst <laughs> of all this heat. Yeah. Wondrous. Yeah, in the midst of all this heat. Oh, speaking my water's not getting shut off. Well, that's good. Knock on wood. Oh, um, not to talk my own stuff back more, but, um. This doesn't have to be recorded in there, but uh, I also got an offer for a teaching position, uh, teaching fifth grade back in, in the same school my brother teaches at in State College. So hell yeah! yeah so I'd be, be gone. Thanks. Hey, congrats! I haven't signed off on anything yet, but uh, but yeah, so I'll be going back to some old stomping grounds if uh, if I go through it. Okay, thank you for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.